Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here this morning for the Congregation of Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word, Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. All right. And given that it's Wednesday, we've got um, divine service this evening at 6.30 p.m. So join us for that. Note 6.30, not 7. Come at 7. Uh, yeah, you'll be there for the sacrament probably. <laughs> but you will have miss, missed uh, the hearing of God's word and the preaching. All right. So make plans uh, to come on out for that. Anything else? Nope. We'll continue in uh, the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew and our catechesis there. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, so we're going to change things up this summer. And uh, yesterday we did a little bit of an introduction to the hymn. I think today it's worth uh, hearing a meditation on the psalm, um, because we've been praying the psalm since Sunday, right? So we'll do that today. But first, let's let's pray it together, and then we'll uh, have a consideration upon it. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. So, uh, as I liked uh, to use Patrick Henry Reardon's book, Christ in the Psalms, um, because he often has, well, he always draws this to our attention to faith in Christ, but uh, also gives us maybe some context, right? Same, same here. Because its literary style includes some sonorous features dependent on specific Hebrew words, the psalm tends to suffer more in translation than is the case with many other psalms. For example, the Hebrew noun found most frequently in this psalm is kol, meaning voice. Pronounced with the full glottal shock of the letter Q, the word mimics the sound of thunder, which is, in fact, what the noun refers to in this psalm. Call, right? Like that. This rhetorical device in which a word imitates the thing to which it refers is called, let's see how many of you remember, onomatopoeia. Remember that word? Words like crash and bump and scream are examples in English. 
The expression, call Adonai, found seven times in this psalm, conveys the impression of a repeated thunder roll, not entirely expressed in the softer English equivalent, the voice of the Lord. (laughs) Nor perhaps does even the canonical Greek, phone kyriou, do the same thing full justice, though the Latin version, vox domini, may come closer. Tried to give you a little emphasis there. Right, so, phone kyriou is the Greek, vox domini is the Latin, and of course, call Adonai is the Hebrew. The same sort of guttural sonority is likewise exemplified in another Hebrew word in this psalm, kavod, glory, which appears twice near the beginning and then again close to the end. Psalm 20, the psalm, I should say 29, features several additional examples of this technique, for it is a poem describing a thunderstorm, and in the original Hebrew it really does sound like a thunderstorm. It has thus always reminded me of Beethoven's musical portrayal of a storm in his pastoral. The setting of this tempest is a giant cedar forest whose overarching branches assume the contours of a vaulted temple, and through this lofty Sylvian shrine, the booming voice of God comes pounding and roaring with terrifying majesty, accompanied by the swishing of the wind and rain while flashing bolts of lightning split the very trunks of the towering trees. In his temple, everything speaks glory. Verse 9. This is a psalm about God's glory, his kavod, and his holiness, with a couple of plays on the corresponding Hebrew word kadosh. Note, for example, the wilderness of kadesh. In any language, this is most certainly a psalm to be prayed out loud, allowing its words to come rumbling through the soul. Recited properly, it becomes a literary extension and a reliving of that ancient storm, which was the psalmist's original inspiration. This is a very active piece of poetry. After calling on the sons of God to bring him glory and honor, the psalmist begins to describe that glory as it is revealed in the storm. Calling all God's sons to give glory to his name, the psalmist immediately speaks of the voice of the Lord upon the waters. The glory of God, or excuse me, the God of glory thunders. This is the same thunderous voice that is in the Gospel of John, tells of the glory of God's name. Father, glorify your name. And then the voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by heard and heard it said that it had thundered. John 12, verses 28 and 29. Remember, that's in the Garden of Gethsemane. This divine and thunderous voice is heard exactly seven times in our psalm, seven being the number of fullness and perfection. These seven thunders of God represent the summation of unspeakable mysteries heard by the Apostle John. Quote, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and he cried with a loud voice as as of a lion that roars, or as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices, and when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. Revelation 10, verse 1. Such, too, was the awesome experience of the Apostle Paul when he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is, it is not lawful for man to utter. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 4. If most of this psalm is rather loud and active, however, its ending is decidedly peaceful, for it closes with God, serene upon his throne, reigning eternally over his church. The Lord puts away the storm, or in, in Greek, cataclysmon, and the Lord um, thrones as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. 
the Lord will bless his people with peace, or in peace. This people blessed with strength and peace at the ending of the psalm are the, those very sons of God summoned to worship him back at the beginning. The thunderstorm now come to an end. There remains in the temple of the cedar forest only the everlasting reign of the heavenly throne. Hmm. Strikes me that um, he could have done that, said that this is really the experience of divine service, right? Is that it begins um, with the calling upon God's name by all those gathered together, right? Ascribe to the Lord, the glory is to do his name, worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. So a call to worship. And then the, the hearing of God's word is like, a, is like a thunderstorm breaking into pieces and giving joy and all of that, right? And then at the end, we end with peace, right? Yeah, as the Lord sits enthroned. Nice. All right, our memory verse for the week is John 3, verse 5. Let's say it together. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5. Again, unless one is born of water, oh, excuse me, I forgot the first part. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 3, verse 5. Right? And then the sacrament of baptism. What is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word, which is that word of God. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. All right. So our reading for catechesis from Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. So yesterday we heard the Beatitudes, and we talked about how um, that's just another way of saying blessed, and that it was all gift, a gift of faith in Christ. Uh, we also noted the contrast or the comparison of Jesus uh, to Moses, right? Um, and I thought of another way to, to speak of that contrast is that Moses goes up onto the mountain, receives the word. I remember what happened while he was receiving the word. The, the children of Israel uh, fashioned the golden calf and were and become, again, worshiping those idols that they had received or that they had worshiped in Egypt, all right? which is part of that story that uh, is left unspoken in the account according to Moses, but is in the prophets, as we've noted in Ezekiel, right? that they brought their gods out of Egypt. These are your gods that you worshipped in Egypt, says, uh, says the people. right? So uh, with Moses, Moses receives the word and then communicates that word to the people. So there's this intermediary kind of role that Moses has as a preacher. right? First he hears, then he speaks, uh, which is what it, Christian preachers do as well. But Jesus is different. Jesus goes up onto the mountain, opens his mouth, and out comes God's word. No intermediary necessary because he is the word made flesh. All right. Uh, we also talked about how, again, the Beatitudes are, are words of blessing, um, all fulfilled, namely, in Christ. And we're going to hear that theme uh, continued here in the rest of the context, beginning in verse 13. Right, so we don't have to import that meaning. It's Jesus himself will give that meaning to those words we just heard. Oh, by the way, the other thing that's happening on the sermon 
is Jesus is preaching the law lawfully. Right now, that that's really the issue with how often uh, the blesseds are taught, is they're taught as as something that you can do. But if there's something you can do, then there's no need for Christ to have done them for you, right? To be the peacemaker, to be the comforter, or to send the comforter, the Spirit, or um, to be the meek one, etc., or to suffer for righteousness' sake, right? Or to give you uh, the food that is needed that you hunger and thirst for, His supper. Okay. Um, so again, that theme is going to come out here too, the proper relationship of God's people um, to the law. And maybe one more note then, um, as we noticed in Ezekiel, and as we've been doing actually, um, especially in the first 24 chapters, it was necessary, actually for the next seven chapters as well, once until we get to chapter 33. But um, um, the problem is that the law is not is not preached in order that we would do it, right? Because if we could do it, then there would be no need for forgiveness, you see? But rather, the law is preached, when it's preached lawfully, it brings all people under the judgment of sin, right? It actually increases the trespass, as Paul would say, hearing that word from Jesus, okay? So, when the law is preached lawfully, it, it leaves you only with that question, like we heard at Pentecost. Brothers, what must we do to be saved? Right? Because it's obviously not by the law. We're all, we've all been brought under judgment. Right? So that's what Jesus is going to do. And what he wants you to do is to not forget the promise. This is the key to re- reading Ezekiel, as we've noted. is It sounds like harsh judgment, and it is, and rightfully so, um, for the idolatry of the people. But we can't read it without hearing the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the promise fulfilled in Christ, right? the promise made to David and to Solomon. And so that's how he wants you to receive the law to your judgment but not forget the promise, all right? And so that, um, as we hear Jesus speak, I think that's one of the things he wants us to do, is to not forget the promise. All right, so let's pay attention. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is good, then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Most assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one little or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So again, a reminder, who is he speaking to on the mountain? There was crowds gathered, but who was he specifically speaking to? to the 12, right? All right, so now we have the use of salt, right? Uh, and of course, even in, in our usage, what's salt for? I used some this morning on my on my eggs, right? To season, for flavor. Uh, what else is salt used for? Some of you uh, home preservists know that, right? For preservation, right? I've wanted to do a salt, you know, a salt-preserved ham for a long time. I just, uh, work. Plus, you have to coat it with like, um, lard and then wrap it in in uh, cheesecloth find a place to hang it 
I'm talking about like a salt cured ham. Yeah, dry salt, dry curry. All right. Uh, maybe a story that would help here is from Second Kings two. I don't know if you know this story. This is with Elisha and Moab. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, "Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant. What city are we in?" Um, to go back. Oh yes, this is right after the call of Elisha. Right. So he's just gone across um, to Jericho. He's in Jericho. All right. Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, as my lord sees. But the water is bad and the ground barren. Of course, we know why. <laughs> you weren't supposed to rebuild Jericho, people. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it there shall be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. So he salinated the water and it actually made it uh, usable again. Right? First miracle of Elisha, actually. That's curious, right? Uh, of course, the other thing that enemies would do, and you can see this all through the ancient world, is if they wanted to uh, not desecrate a land, but actually make the land uninhabitable, they would salt the land. I saw uh, a story about a woman who had uh, a garden and um, you know she was in town and it was a rather large garden, and uh, the neighbors were upset about it. And one of them actually salted her garden so that, you know, nothing could grow in it again. So we have judgment. Um, that judgment of the land comes out in the destruction of, of Sodom, right? All right. Uh, and then light. So we had salt and then light. What does light do, of course? It reveals things that are hidden, right? So when light comes to darkness, you see what was in darkness. Uh, of course, it's also necessary for life. Um, one of the uh, new software features of uh, the software for the Apple Watch that will come out maybe in the fall, Watch OS 10, they're calling it, uh, is a feature for parents of children. Uh, this will also work, I think, on tablets, but especially on the on the watch. Is that uh, if if the children child is not getting uh, daylight sunlight, um, then the parent can be notified, you know, to get the kid out and active. <laughs> you know, using technology to try to convince children to just go outside. Uh, well, anyway, that's the world we live in, I suppose. All right, and then we have the city on a hill, a famous, of course, speech about a city on a hill, I think from American politician. You might probably can remember who that is, right? Um, but Jerusalem had been a city with the temple to the true God, and of course it was built on a hill of a sort. Um, now we're talking about the church, right? With the light of Christ being proclaimed, that's the word, um, in this city, all right? Um, a lamp, what are lamps for? All right, put a lamp, don't put it under a basket, right? Lamp is the word of God. Um, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, Psalm 119, 105, I think, right? Um, but also, um, Jesus talks about himself being light. That's it, later on in the gospel, Matthew 25, right? And that's uh, the parable of the uh, wise and foolish virgins, right? with the, the, the light that keeps the lamps lit until the bridegroom comes. Um, lampstands. Lamp stand, you know, that's like a candlestick, I guess you might call it, but a lamp stand, there's a very notable one, and that was in the temple itself. Um, you can see that in Exodus 40, right, which provided lamp for the temple and had to be remained lit. And what's another story with that lampstand? Oh, uh, with, the, uh, with Samuel when he's, a, when he's a boy, right, serving under Eli. 
is that Eli, um, his eyes have grown dim, so he can't see. The light has gone out of them. And consequently, he can't be relied upon to keep the lamp lit in the, in the uh, tabernacle. And so that's uh, Samuel's job as a boy. That's why he's sleeping in the tabernacle when the Lord comes to him. Right? And then we have good works um, that glorify um, the Father in heaven. In other words, that give cause for praise to the Father. Right? Uh, here you want to interpret this according to the psalm. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Remember the psalm? Right? Uh, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Right? Um, and then at the end here, in his temple all cry glory. Right? So the so if they're going to give glory to the Father in heaven, it's going to be for the good works that God has accomplished in you. You see? For the glory of his name. Right? So they're going to give glory to the Father for uh, the forgiveness of sins proclaimed, the proclamation of the word, the uh, giving of baptism, right? All that keeps, and of course, the, the body and blood of Christ. The good works that um, glorify God in heaven is the receiving of his word, and then, of course, his word attached um, to the sacraments in the church. Hmm. Uh, by the way, that's, a, that's the uh, proper interpretation of the conclusion of the Athanasian Creed, which we confessed on Sunday, right? Whoever... Um, how does the ending go? Whoever has done good will enter into eternal life, and whoever has done evil into eternal fire. Well, what is the good that, that, that needs to be done to enter into eternal life? But the receiving of word for faith, right, and that regular ongoing um, ministry of that word in your life. So there is no greater good than to be in persistent study of God's word and the reception of God's gifts in the sanctuary. That's it. You know, every, all other good actually in this world or in your life flow from that right? Flow from faith, and faith created by the word. So there are good works um, that we are prepared beforehand to do, and that's to be faithful people of God, right? Children of God who delight in hearing the voice of their Father. All right. Does Jesus then destroy um, the law or the prophets, utterly annihilate them? No, of course not. Um, The law is good and holy. The preaching of God's word, even Ezekiel, chapters 1 through 24, which we've been reading, for the last, uh, oh, I don't know, two-thirds of a year or so, right? Even, even that word is, is good and wise, right? Why? Because it shows the sin, puts it before our eyes. Even though we don't keep it, it is still for us. Right? Even words of judgment are good for us. Why? Because they drive us to Christ for forgiveness, of course. How does Jesus fulfill then the law and the prophets? He says he does. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, right? First, he keeps the commandments, obedience, right? Um, and he does all the words that the prophets spoke concerning him. So uh, Luther is famous in remarking about Isaiah, for example, the prophet Isaiah being the fifth evangelist. Right? And, the, and I think he says similar things about the psalm, and I agree with him, is that by reading the psalms, we know everything we need to know of Christ, if we're willing to hear it. Right? Same thing with Isaiah. It's like everything you need to know about who Christ is and what he has come to do and, and the gifts that he gives, it's all in Isaiah. It's there. Right? Because, and then, of course, then that makes sense that Jesus would come to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Um, when he says, for sure they I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle, so a jot would be like a line and a tittle would be a dot, right? I think it's sometimes dot or hash, or people translate that differently. Those are the, the little marks that you have to make when you're writing letters out. Um, 
not even those little marks will pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Till all is fulfilled. Right? What does that mean? Until the end of the world, the law must be proclaimed to condemn the sin of the world until finally um, the whole host of heaven has been numbered. Right? Chris makes a comment. I try, uh, try to, that is to let your light shine before men, but there are those who don't want to be shown the light anymore. So very sad. It's true. Yeah. Uh, but that's not on you, right? As far as the light piercing the darkness, that's reserved to Christ working by his spirit. Um, but you let the light so shine, right? And what God accomplishes through that is uh, completely in his hands. And it is sad when it is not received, uh, but the burden there is not upon you, actually. Uh, the only burden you're given is is to simply get out of the way of the spirit and let the spirit do his job, <laughs> right? You proclaim his word, right? You speak, you speak of Christ and everything. They can mock you, they can shame you, they can try to extinguish that light, but the, the darkness cannot overcome it, as John says in uh, John 1, right? So who is the one who is, um, who does and teaches the commandments to men, who is gr- called great in the kingdom of heaven? Well, God willing, I guess, uh, fathers, mothers, pastors, teachers, in part, but of course not fully, no. Ultimately, this is referring to Jesus. He's the one who teaches, who does the commandments and teaches them, and who, of course, is great in the kingdom of heaven because he is the king of heaven. All right. And what is the righteousness then of the scribes and Pharisees? We talked about this with Nicodemus on Sunday in the sermon. Go back and listen or watch that if you like. Right. It's a false kind of righteousness, it's an outward piety. Um, But um, you'll note, as was the case with Nicodemus, he refused the baptism of John. Um, along with the rest of his fellow Pharisees, um, which is then a refusal to repent, to repent of sins. Right? So false uh, righteousness according to outward works, just by doing things out externally, but without repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Right? And who surpasses this righteousness? Of course, that is Christ as well. Right? So, I mean, this is always the contextual thing. They say, well, this applies to every Christian. Our righteousness needs to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Well, of course, but it can't not by our own doing, that's their error, right? Um, Who can teach um, all the commandments and do them? Well, surely we can ascribe to that, yes, but we can't do it, right? Jesus is very clear here, right? Only he is the one who can do these things, right? And he is the one who's fulfilling them for us, right? So the the law is fulfilled in Christ, right? Including um, the demands of the blessings, to be blessed, or the demands here to be salt and light. This is all speaking, he's speaking of himself, right? This would be the kind of sermon at the end, it, there's nothing, the people's response is not recorded, but it'd be nice to have it, right? Where the people said, oh, what must we do to be saved? We, we, we are none of these things. They say, believe on Jesus Christ and be baptized and you'll be saved. But that will come later in Matthew, right? Matthew 28, which we'll hear for our preaching tonight. All right, it is good or excuse me, it is God who has salted us with his word in holy baptism that we might be preserved and made flavorful in the word, uh, world. Excuse me. Unless the salt of the word is continually applied, we will soon lose our flavor and no longer be preserved, but be trampled under in judgment. Jesus further emphasizes that point by referring to a lamp, which is associated with the word and the presence of God among his people. You have been made the light of the world when you were joined to Christ, the light of the world in holy baptism. Such faith is kept alive and burning in the house of the church as you gather in the divine service. 
The good deeds which the light reveals are not yours, but those of Christ who practices and teaches the law, that he might fulfill it for your sake. By his good deeds, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. So all of these things are yours only as you are in Christ. And he is the one who makes you salt and light, um, gives you to accomplish the commandments, to teach faithfully according to them, and to live in his righteousness. That's his forgiveness. Good. A lot going on in that little text, right? Yeah. Second reading um, was our Old Testament reading from Sunday, although there's a little bit more here, from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. And then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be for consuming, as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed, Jesus, shall be its stump. All right. So uh, it seems like a harsh word to give to uh, Isaiah to preach. But of course, we've heard um, not only Isaiah, but Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some others, have preached this message to those who were taken into exile. And But they all end with the same promise, that there will return a remnant, a remnant. God will restore what he has cut down. But of course, the restoration comes in this holy seed, the promise that comes out of the stump. All right, so let's not forget the promise again. <laughs> All right, let's sing our hymn for the week. I bind unto myself today. I bind a 
creation has baptism in the Jordan River. His cross of death for my salvation is bursting from the spicy to his riding up a heavenly way. His up there. And uh, remind me tomorrow, we'll start with stanza four. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you have given us grace to acknowledge the glory of the eternal Trinity by the confession of a true faith and to worship the unity and the power of of the divine majesty. Keep us steadfast in this faith and defend us from all adversities. For you, O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, live and reign one God now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you that for Jesus' sake, baptism works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as your words and promises declare. Comfort and strengthen our faith in Jesus with the promise that whoever believes in him and is baptized will be saved. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We pray this day for marriage and family, that husbands and wives, parents and children, live in ordered harmony according to the word of God. For parents who must rear their children alone, for our communities and neighborhoods. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray this day in Thanksgiving with Thomas and Gabriella celebrating birthdays. We pray with Alan celebrating his baptism. We pray for the households of our church, especially Shannar and Nicole, Michael, Tanya, Jack and Patty, Renee, Dan and Bonnie. Pray in Thanksgiving for the gift of the service of Mrs. Polster and Mrs. Larson to our congregation. Pray for our catechumens. Pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Dale, Pam, Joe, Kelsey, Marion, Naomi, Christopher, Marcy, Brad, Gus, Eileen, Ron, Doug, Hosea, Pat, Wade, Wendell, and Arlene. Pray for our homebound, um, Marcy, Dan, Paul, Dolores, Merlin, and Pauline. Pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially that of Sharon Richardson, Community Hospice. Pray for the family and friends of David. Uh, who grieve his death, as well as uh, my extended family grieving the death of my great-uncle Charlie. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, that's our congregation of prayer for today, uh, Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. I hope that gave you something to consider um, from God's Word, right? What a rich set of readings from Matthew. Oh, and the psalm, Mm, the thunderstorm of the Lord, right? So you're welcome. Uh, It's good to have you here with us. Uh, See you checking in. Karen, Vicki, Gus and Eileen, Michael, and Chris. Those of you watching or listening later in the day, greetings to you as well. All right. So God be with you. I hope to see you this evening at 6.30 for Divine Service. Uh, Otherwise, again, tomorrow morning here online at 9 a.m. for the Congregation of Prayer. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org that's stjohnrandomlake.org slash support and give today.